Welcome to From the Pulpit, the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. In the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning's gospel lesson is about Jesus casting out a demon. And the tough statements that Jesus makes afterwards, like a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, or he who is not with me is against me. And the text that I read a few moments ago for the gospel comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 11. This morning, however, I want to start by looking at this same story in the gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 12. Mark's account of this story is in Mark chapter 3, and it's very brief. But that's the nature of Mark. Mark is a swift-moving gospel. Luke's account of the story, which we read, is longer than Mark's, but he is still a little generic in the sense that he doesn't name a few details that Matthew does. Matthew does give us a couple of extra details that Luke doesn't. Instead of a pronoun, Matthew will outright say certain things or or name certain people. Starting in Matthew 12, verse 22, we find the setting of the story. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, The reactions to this were mixed. And this is where the difference between Luke and Matthew comes in. Luke simply says, the multitudes marveled or were amazed. But what does Matthew say? And look at verse 23. And all the multitudes were amazed, same as Luke, and said, could this be the son of David? And that's an important detail. The problem of the story, and we all know where it's headed, isn't necessarily the fact that Jesus cast out a demon and healed this blind and mute man. The problem was that there were some who perceived that Jesus was, or at least could be, the promised Messiah. People were responding to Jesus' healings. People were responding and knowing the types of things that were mentioned even in the Old Testament, like back in Isaiah, when it's told that the lame would walk, the blind would see, the deaf would would hear, the mute would speak, and so on. And so that's how the people were reacting to Jesus. Jesus had power even over demons. And it is to this response of the people that there comes a counter-response. Take a look at verse 24. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, and that's the other difference between Luke and Matthew. Luke just says, some of them came and said, meaning the multitude that was referenced. But Matthew specifically says that it was the Pharisees. And it's not that they react negatively towards Jesus casting out a demon per se. We see later in the lesson that Jesus says to them in response, well, by whom do your sons cast them out? I mean, they had a whole system of doing this, stemming all the way back to Solomon. So they weren't opposed to casting out demons. So what do the Pharisees react to? That the people were saying, is this the son of David? 
The Pharisees didn't want that. Actually, if you back up a little bit in the same chapter of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus was having some confrontations with the Pharisees. Jesus was breaking the letter of the law by doing certain things on the Sabbath. He and his disciples plucked grain and ate on the Sabbath. He went into the synagogue and he healed a withered man or a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees who were so hell-bent on keeping such a strict law and basing their relationship on such works of behaviors kept coming at Jesus about it. And Jesus, well, he was throwing it back at the Pharisees. And he's saying, no, I'm keeping the true intention of the law as it serves to glorify God. And we see where these interactions went. Still have your Bibles open. Look at verse 14 of Matthew chapter 12. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Another Version says, and the Pharisees went out and they held a council against him, how they might destroy him. The Pharisees held a council. They didn't do just some water cooler type snickering about Jesus the next day. They didn't just gripe with one another. They didn't just mumble under their breath behind Jesus' back. No, they literally gathered themselves together. These Jewish leaders had a vestry meeting of sorts amongst themselves, to put it in our church terms. And their sole agenda and their sole purpose was to find a way to do what? Destroy Jesus. Now that's pretty harsh. And so it makes sense that when the people start saying that Jesus is the son of David, the Pharisees chime up and say, hey, wait, hold the fort here. Jesus isn't the Messiah. Jesus isn't the son of David. Don't be duped by this Jesus character. And instead they say that Jesus does what? Look at verse 24. The rest of it. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub. Now that's a fun word to say. Beelzebub is referenced in the Old Testament as a false and pagan god of Ekron, known as the Lord of the Flies. And the Jews actually took the name, and they changed the B on the end of it, and they made it an L. And depending on what translation you're using, you might even see it that way already written, with an L instead of a B, because it's probably better rendered that way. Beelzebub was the fly god. But Beelzebul was quite the scatological insult because it had to do with excrement, with waste from the body. Baal meant Lord and Zebul meant dumb. It literally meant Lord of the dumb. Or for you younger folk, it meant Lord of the poop. Yes, there are times when a preacher gets to preach about poop in church. (laughs) Not very often, but this is one of those times. (laughs) So that's what they were saying about Jesus. They said Jesus was an agent, a worker of the most foul one, Satan himself. This fellow casts out devils by Beelzebub or Beelzebul, by Satan himself. They ended up attributing the work of God 
the work of the Holy Spirit in cleansing this man to that of Satan himself, which I believe connects to Jesus' statement about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit a little bit later on. But at any rate, this launches Jesus into a rebuttal to that. And this response by the Pharisees was designed to turn the people against Jesus. But Jesus takes it, turns the logic right back around on them. Look at verse 25 and 26. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then? Will his kingdom stand? Now, Christ said these words in response to the Pharisees, who attributed his work to Satan. In essence, Christ was speaking these words about himself and making a point that he was the Son of God. He even says in verse 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. But Christ seems to take the whole of the conversation And he provides a practical application of the statement to his listeners. He says, he who is not with me is against me. The kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It's not just a response to the Pharisees' blasphemy against Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's a principle and a truth that speaks to all those who are the children of God in Christ. And actually, the truth of its principle is true in so many different parts of life. I mean, even as children, almost as soon as we know how to talk, we know that the best way to get something is to try and play mom against dad. First, you go to dad and you say, well, mom said. Then you run over here and you go to dad and you say, well, mom said. Divide and conquer is what we call it. In watching our first soccer game back yesterday for the new season with Avery, we had a few moments when the girls forgot their positions on the field. And they kept bunching up, fighting for and stealing the ball even from their own teammates. Thankfully, we won the game. But in those moments, it makes the victory that much harder because they worked against each other instead of in harmony with and for each other. From parenting to marriages to the workplace, to sports teams, even to churches. We know that if there is a division, if there is an inner fight and battle, it will eventually bring about destruction. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Each week in Lent has stressed a vivid picture of a division in a battle. And it centers on sin versus righteousness, on a worldly life versus a godly life, on the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God, on Christ versus Satan. Now, Lent presents these things due in much part to the original intent of Lent. You've heard me say it before. But Lent was originally a time intended for new converts, more than it was for all believers. These converts used Lent as a time to fast and to pray and to prepare for their Easter baptism. During this time, they were continually reminded to put away their old ways and to focus on the new life that they would have in Christ in their baptism. They were taught that they were no longer citizens of the world's kingdom, but citizens of God's kingdom. Yet, despite the original purpose of why these passages and truths were chosen for Lent, their teachings still ring out loud for every Christian. 
even for you and for me. Because the truths of the scriptures and Christ's words, well, they're eternal. We constantly have Satan in sin, attempting to divide and battle the kingdom of God. And on a more individualistic level, attempting to battle and divide our own commitment and our own loyalty to God's kingdom. Actually, Satan understands Christ's statement most fully. His greatest tactic is to attempt to implode the kingdom of God from within. Divide the individual Christian, divide the corporate Christian body, and the walls come tumbling down. And that's why we must heed this thought today. Many a Christian embrace the promises of God. Many embrace the hope that we have in Christ. Many embrace the life of faith. But at the same time, many of them allow the tactic of divide and conquer to be employed in their lives. When push comes to shove, they cannot bring themselves to live those professions out. When temptation knocks, they open the door. And all the same weapons of destruction that Satan has used in the past are still used today. Money, sex, power, prestige, and so on. So we must be on guard. We must be spiritually prepared for the battle. The battle between sin and righteousness. Between our citizenship in the world versus our citizenship in heaven. And perhaps the biggest warning and the best advice comes at the end of this passage. Christ says that a man who has been cleansed must fill himself anew or else he will become worse than he originally was. Part of the reason that Satan is victorious in his methods and why sin can divide us within is because we fail to fill ourselves with those things with which we ought to fill ourselves. We profess our Christian love and desire on Sundays, but then we fill ourselves all week long with nitpicking and criticism. We proclaim our trust in God, but then we spend all week filling ourselves with worry and with anxiety. We rejoice on Sunday when we hear the forgiveness of Christ, but then we spend all week spilling ourselves with bitterness and anger. Or to think of it another way, what we put in is as important as what Christ put out. Beloved, Christ has fought a battle for us. He's overcome. We witness this every week in our Lenten gospel lessons. And we'll most pointedly see it when we approach the grave and resurrection of Christ in just a few short weeks. And as we share in that glorious victory, we need to be aligned with the things of his kingdom. So let us constantly and consistently be filled with the things of God. Let us be filled with his word. Let us be filled with prayer. Let us be filled with his worship. Let us be filled with his love knowing that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But a kingdom united, that will never fall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.